We are here with a belter, another word for it, a belter of a guest this week. And but before we get to that, I'm John Cassidy. He is Stephen Watt. How you doing, Stevie boy? I am majestic, John. Absolutely majestic. Wonderful. Also majestic has been the response to our most recent episode with Ali McCall and Graham Conley talking about the Barclay Fall Classic, eh? It's been brilliant. Yes, it was an interesting episode and a bit different, like season nine the season of being different and that certainly met the bill few mm. folk intrigued by Ali's story so yes. maybe, maybe watch this space on that one definitely and also there's been a few people have inquired to us about Graham because Graham was obviously not his vocal self he was vocal in other ways but not um using his mouth for a change um but what the an update i think we would give is that graham he's on the mend mm-hmm. he's getting there he's been away on i think the nice weekend or a nice week away on holiday he's recovering well and uh as soon as the time is right we will have your man back on to uh have another bit of crack with us very soon but thank you everybody for inquiring about graham the good news is He's on the mend, so we'll be back with us uh, very soon as well. But thank you, everybody. We love the fact that people are um, commenting. We've had quite a few comments as well from the US of A um, about people, because I think good friend of the show and previous guest, Larry Kelly, has been sharing the episode with some people that maybe we don't have access to stateside. Um, and people over there have been... Loving these Scottish guys. So thank you very much for all our friends across in the in the US of A as well. We've got a wee bit of catching up to do though, Stephen. We mentioned a few things last week, didn't we? About um things certainly up north we were talking about. We did. We were heading up to the shores of Loch Ness, where the start of the Loch Ness marathon takes place. Obviously finishes in the bustling city centre of Inverness but we had a few people up there taking part looked like a good day mm-hmm. De- and Badwater Debbie yes getting reacquainted with the marathon distance in good fashion she loves a hill does Debbie it's, it's, a, it's a funny one because it's got a really similar route profile to Boston see when you lay the Boston Elevation uh-huh. profile next to the Loch Ness elevation profile. There's starkingly. Is that a word? Startingly. Starkingly. You know what I mean? They look, cool, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. They look. They look really similar, and you could by be fooled by thinking, ah, they've they've got a nice net downhill. Mm. That doesn't tell the whole story. There's a few bumps along the way, and definitely in the second half, up at Loch Ness when things are maybe starting to feel that way. Mm. There's a few welcome or unwelcome bumps. Yes, bumps of what they are. Last week 
also heralded the introduction of the DART nickname segment of our show. It did. I'm saying segment, we'll probably do it next week now. But we had Badwater Debbie. That one just speaks for itself. Who's other fairly we had lined up? We had the Cumbernauld Kipchoggy. Yeah, Jerry Healy. Yeah, Jerry Healy, who didn't disappoint with a startingly, try to use that word again, get run. <laughs> yes, we did. And we had, you know what, we heard from a number of people and we've seen on social media because Steve and I get together every Sunday night between half past seven and nine and we go through all the social media platforms we do. Scouring them for any sniff of a LaBeouf buff. And we noticed plenty were out there on the Loch Ness course. Um, so thank you, everybody that was tagging us in um, on their social media. And well done to everybody who seemed to have a broad day up in uh, Inverness. So well done to everybody. We should also, and I think we maybe missed an opportunity last week. We never really spoke yeah. about the Great Scottish Run that was happening in Ouija land because, and there was plenty of buff buffs on show there and all. It was. It was looked like a great day out in the city of Glasgow. And yeah, it was the 10K. It was a half marathon. The socials were alight, John, with mm. folk doing great things at the Great Scottish Run. So uh, if that was you, well done. If that yeah. was you and you were wearing a buff, then you'll know the reason for your success. Exactly. And it was one of these Sundays where there was a Garmin server outage, Stevie boy. It all went to pot and folk were getting all panicky because it wasn't showing up in their Strava for a wee bit, you know. So I think you get that. I mean, you get big, big events happening at the oh, same time, you know. That's the worst, isn't it? It's that error message comes up. Garmin servers are currently experiencing problems. All you want to do is get your your run up loaded on Strava to start collecting the kudos. Come on, give me the thumbs up. Give me <laughs> the strokes, baby. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> You're twitching. You know, <laughs> you do that. You know how you can do that thing where you shake your phone to give bulk kudos. I've never that's never happened for me yet. I'm still going through doing that manual thing. Oh John, come on, you're showing your your um Novice, your novice <laughs> Strava skills there. So when you obviously run a big event, so, so some of us have got big events coming up. After it, it says you've ran with X number of okay, 10 other folk, 50 other folk. But at a big event, it's like 500 Dude. other folk. And you you just shake your phone and kudos 500 of them at the same time to get... <laughs> To get a wee bit of that reciprocal kudos back. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how much is that an ego moustache, isn't it? But anyway, I've maybe been guilty of doing it myself a couple of times. <laughs> oh, man. And now, on the topic of... Do the, do the Strava Strava shake. <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of uh, summer buff buffs, although... A number of different versions of Buff Buffs were on display over the weekend. But I've got to give a special shout out to Audrey Rowe, who has taken her summer Buff Buff to Everest Base Camp, which is quite phenomenal. So thank you very much, Audrey. I think she's skyod on Instagram. Um, thank you very much for taking us all that way. And we're hoping that the summer Buff Buff 
comforts you and gives you the powers that you will need um, in that environment. But it's brilliant. We love it. I think um, Graham Hackland once wore a buff to the top of Kilimanjaro, didn't he? Yeah. Is um, that, that recent trip to the Everest base camp meant that the crown of highest altitude a buff buff has ever been a has been nicked away for Graham or mm. is Kilimanjaro summit higher than base camp Everest as you've said that our research team are on the ball they're just going to fly in and get to- for want of a better technical explanation they're about to get tore in about that and try and figure that out for us so well um, I'm, I'm going to figure it out right now because that's the type of info that people listening need to know Okay, yeah. and wh- well, while you're while you're doing that, so people now know that Stephen has our world famous research team. Oh man! Um, oh man! Okay, you're back. It's quick. I'm back quick. So, Kilimanjaro altitude is five eight nine five meters. Everest base camp altitude is five three six four. Oh, so Graham still got it, man. Found remains yours. Awesome. There you go. That one. I, that one's put to bed, John. I can imagine Graham right now doing a punch in the air. Yes, come on. So yeah. Audrey, then he get up though. Then he get up. There's there's other mountains to climb. <laughs> Just nick up the hill, you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Um. Now we've got to also bring it back to Scotia. This weekend is the Danoon Ultra. Is taking place this weekend um, and we were very kindly gifted two places to give away and there are winners of the competition for money sorry prizes that money can't buy we are Kirsty Ormond and Greg Turner so we hope you are both healthy and well and on your way to Danoon and taking part in the Danoon Ultra and wish you all the very best for a great weekend absolutely it looks a stonker, man. I need to do it sometime when the stars align. Yep, most definitely. To do it. Um, so we're going to keep this intro kind of short because we've got kind of long. Like <laughs> this is us doing short, by the way, because yeah. we've got we've got a kind of it's a kind of feature length episode uh, with our guest. So let's say a few words about our guest, Stephen. Let's do that, Emma Stewart is somebody that we've got acquainted to in 2023 and it's been a pleasure to get to know her you know and, and spend time in her company because she is a sensational runner ultra runner and she now feels like she's one of her pals john which is just a big added bonus hopefully the feelings reciprocal um but she has just no longer got back from Italy, where she took part in the Tour de Giants, which is an iconic race and route around the Aosta Valley in the Alps of Italy, starting and finish in Courmayet. And it's a bumpy old route, shall we say. And we get to find out all about that. Plus much, much more, eh, John? Much more. Mm. Emma, I see this, I think, I wrap this up and I'm talking at the end. She's a very good runner, but she's also a very good storyteller. 
and she had she has you on the edge of her seat. She's there's she's absolutely fantastic. And we have we met her in person in the in the lakes in July, and she just delivers big time, both on the course and off the course. She's great company. She's a really lovely lassie. But we've got one thing she didn't manage was to come up with her own dart nickname. So we said we'd do it in the intro, didn't we, Stephen? So I'll leave it over to you to deliver the dart nickname for Emma Stewart. We did. We are wanting to introduce Emma the Scarperer Stewart. And you need to check the spelling of her scarpering for it to make sense. It'll all make sense in the end. But for <laughs> now, enjoy an hour and a half in the presence of ourselves and Emma the Scarperer, Stuart. Welcome to the Young Hearts Run Free podcast, Emma Stuart. How are you, Emma? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm very well. We can now officially talk about previous guest, friend of the show. We've shared the stage together as well, down in the lakes yeah. in the summer. We're like old pals. So um, it was lovely because we did, we spoke with you in the build-up to the Lakeland 1500 earlier this year and then we did speak to you on stage in Coniston on the Friday night just after the um, the 50 had went off and you revealed on the stage that night that you were going to be taking part and your next big race was going to be the Tour de Géants in September this year. So we're going to just have a wee chat about how that panned out for you? What was the story of the Tour de Gions? Is that okay? Can we do that, yeah? yeah? We'll do that. Why not? Let's go for Why it. Not? Right. I have a small bit of text that we've sort of lightly discussed before we started recording. I was going to, to give our listeners a bit of context to this. The Tour de Gions is an esteemed 330 kilometre, for those who operate in miles, that's 205 miles. A, a bit longer than that. Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. A looped ultra that spans the Aosta Valley in Italy and it features over 24,000 metres of elevation. Runners are allowed 150 hours to complete the race. So did you say to me it goes from Sunday to Saturday, I think? Yeah, yeah, so it starts on Sunday morning, finishes Saturday evening. So six days you have to complete this event. Now, you you questioned the 330 kilometres. Do you want to come in and say a bit about that? Yeah, it's a bit longer than that. So <laughs> it's um, roughly 350 kilometres. Um, essentially, it's the billions and billions of switchbacks <laughs> that add to the distance. Um, okay. So when you measure it out on a GPS, a GPS device, it's supposed to be only 330, but it does end up being a bit longer. Um, so that's 217 miles uh, for for the uh, people who work in old money. Um, and yeah, the elevation, uh, according to my watch, it was roughly 25,000 metres. Yeah, so just just over three times the height of Everest. So it's, wow. um, yeah, it's a bit of a beast. Yeah. If you compare it to the, the spine, which is 268 miles, uh, but it only has about 12,000 metres of elevation. So it's more than twice the elevation of the spine over a shorter distance yeah that's quite amazing and then also though if it's going to be 350 kilometers for those who work in old change that's an extra 12 miles to 
tag that on. It's quite a bit when you're talking about 205, which is the equivalent of the 330. So, and the Tour de Giants, it's a festival of running, isn't it? There's there's a number of different races. You took part in the the longer one, the longest one, but they call it Tour X, and that's for extraordinary, extreme experience. Did you feel fulfilled on the three X's, Emma? Oh, I did. It's phenomenal. It, Tour Tour de Giants isn't actually the longest. It's the most well-known and it's the biggest. Okay. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it, it's certainly the one that draws the crowds. Uh, Tour de Glaciers is longer, so that's roughly, it seems to vary a little bit, but it's, um, it's said to be about 450 kilometres, but it's not waymarked, so it's self-navigation. You don't uh-huh. have as much access to your drop bag, so you only get to dr- access your drop bag I think it's twice or three times compared to the Tour de Giants where you access it six times. So it's a completely different challenge. Um, okay. It takes people a lot longer because the terrain's a lot more difficult. So um, And it only has 200 starters. So it is a longer event, but it, it just, at the moment, just doesn't seem to have the draw that the 330 is. The 330 is the one that everybody comes to, to spectate. Mm. Yeah, and the 200 runners, so, okay, random question that's just out in my head, does being, completing, and let's just let the cat out of the bag, people probably know, winning the Tour de Giants, finishing as first lady, does that grant you access to be one of the 200 for the 450? Yes, it does, yeah, yeah, so you... um you still have to pay, but but, uh, but yeah, you have to have finished Tour de Giants to do Tour de Glaciers. So, yeah, okay. that's one of the criteria and hence why there's so few people who do it. OK. Now, let me know if I get this right or wrong. 2022, you won the Lakeland 100. People will, most of our listeners, I think, will know will know that. You finished first lady in the Lakeland 100. In Coniston, 2022. I think it was at this year you won the Arc of Attrition earlier in the year. You finished for first lady in that. Ultra Trail Snowdonia. Yeah. Finished first in that. So, and then building up to doing this Tour de Giants. When did the Tour de Giants come on your radar? It's been on my radar for a few years. Um, Probably since Nikki first tackled it, Nikki Spinks. Mm -hmm. Um, It was something that's I really thought I wanted to do. So um, I think it was probably November last year. I kind of started thinking about it seriously and um, kind of went through the channels to get a place. And then that was confirmed. Uh, I think it was February. I can't quite remember when it was confirmed. But yeah, so then that kind of, well, UTS, Ultra Trail Snowdonia was one of my main focuses for the summer. Um, but Tour de Gions was always there at the back of my mind. So basically my entire spring and summer really has just been focused on elevation, elevation, elevation. And I I did do um I did Lavaredo 120 kilometers, which is in the Italian Dolomites, which is a really prestigious kind of mm. um ultramarathon in Italy. It's probably the most well known, mm. certainly the biggest. Um 
and I went into that I, I finished third lady which I was really pleased with because the training hadn't been right for it I it was six weeks po- six weeks post ETS um it's very runnable so there is a lot of elevation but the trails are just so runnable and I just wasn't really prepared for that because I'd been just focusing on elevation so that was a bit of a kind of a yeah it's something I just stuck in there for the summer and then once I'd finished that I just went back onto the hills and slogging slogging a lot of slogging up and down fells in really bad weather (laughs) it was basically my summer (laughs) character building we'll call it Um, very character building so again a wee sidetrack question is it an appeal to go back to Lavredo? Yeah, definitely, 100%, because I didn't perform to the best of my abilities. I knew that very, very, very early on. So um, I got really sick early on. A lot of people suffered with sickness, actually, a lot of people. Um, pretty much all of the people who DNF'd, DNF'd because of either vomiting or diarrhoea or both. I just had vomiting, fortunately, didn't have the diarrhoea. But I did get sick very early on. I think I got sick sick for the first time at like 10 15, 10 12 miles like it was the second checkpoint I got sick at uh suffered with the altitude uh yeah it, I basically just ground it out didn't so ground it out to finish third lady so lo- lots of lessons learned then yeah yeah it's a very different race to anything I've ever done before um mm because it's so runnable so yes there's loads of elevation like I think it's nearly 6,000 meters of elevation over 120 kilometers or 70 miles um but it's so runnable I mean you know if you were fit you could in theory run every every step of it you know if you if you're Mm. fit and I just wasn't that wasn't where my fitness was at the time so Mm -hmm. yeah definitely want to go back and train specifically for that douchebag gradient as Kim Collison calls it <laughs> <laughs> well come on to Kim Collison in a minute um or at some point we will um the what was making people sick then why was it was it hot was it the altitude um we don't know I mean there is a theory going around that there's something wrong maybe it was something to do with the water supply I don't think so personally I think everybody went off too bloody fast like yeah. honest to god it is the worst race i've ever seen for people going off too fast it's ridiculous <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous the speed that people are doing on the first climb it's not sustainable and um yeah i i, I yeah i was humbled very very quickly in that race <laughs> um, <laughs> put it mildly when okay. suddenly going up the first climb i was like middle of the pack like and well in the middle of the pack um having set off at the front of the pack it was quite insane but uh but yeah i mean the europeans they're just they they thrive on that stuff and they just love it mm-hmm. but yeah you know everybody run they go off like a bullet from a gun but then um and i just think the effort that they're putting in their stomach just turns really really quickly but yeah i've never seen so many people like on the side of the trail like having a bad day put it that way <laughs> i've yeah. never seen as many people it was crazy because i think when your stomach your stomach goes well, well there's a number of different reasons that can be but part of it is definitely exertion so if you're putting that much pressure on your body early doors 
someone's going to give. And for some people, it might be their stomach. It might have been the water. It might have been a number of different things. But it's quite unusual for it to be such a high number of people. Yeah, I, I think I think there is probably a combination of factors, but I think effort has to be right up there because yeah. I, I honestly, I've never seen anything like it. It, it was crazy how fast people were running up. People were running up. It's about five kilometer ascent. The first ascent is about five, five kilometers, 550 meters of elevation. And people were running it as if they were running a 10 K and <laughs> I couldn't, I had to say, you know, I had to say to myself, you can't run this Emma. Cause if you run this, you're not going to finish this race. So I just had to, I had to just say, right, I'm, 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 I'm walking, I'm slipping back here and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try and make up ground later on, which I did. It took me a long time, but I did make up the ground. You know, there, there was people that were really hard to catch, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a good, that sounds like it was a good decision though. So you'd be picking oh, people yeah, off. Yeah, I wouldn't have yeah. finished if I kept running if I kept trying to keep with the lead, like the lead ladies, I wouldn't have finished that race. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew okay. that. Yeah. Okay. And do you think it being so soon, did you say six weeks after UTS? I think it was six or seven weeks. Yeah, it wasn't that long, really. And do you, do you generally recover quite quick? Or how, how long would you normally want to recover after the, because UTS is a biggie, isn't it? It's a hard shift. Yeah, yeah it's a biggie, but... I didn't re- I recovered fairly quickly after that because it's a biggie it is a biggie but you're you're not I mean a lot of it is hiking because it's so technical and it's there's so mm-hmm. much elevation so yeah I recovered fairly well and I, I came out of it very well so I didn't have any foot I didn't have any blisters I didn't have I didn't have much sickness um you know I didn't really have any doms like my legs were sore for a couple of days but they weren't they weren't bad so I recovered quite quickly from that so I did feel recovered when I went into Lavaredo I just felt like I hadn't trained specifically enough for it so I didn't have any speed okay <laughs> okay and Which you need but, that, <laughs> but then and then you know what a lot of discussion we've had recently is about the number of big events somebody does in a year You've rattled them this year, haven't you? You've done a few a few big races this year. Would you go back and do that same number of events again in the future, so close together? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, for me, it wasn't too much. I spaced okay. them out. You know, there's there was a good space bar between UTS and Lavaredo. There was quite a good space, and um, okay. it was one of the main reasons I didn't go back to Lakeland Hundred as well, because um, mm-hmm. I just thought. It's putting it's putting too much pressure on me. And I know Sabrina can do it, but Sabrina's a machine. She can just rattle out 100 and 200 mile races as if they're nothing. Um, but I'm still quite new to the sport. So I, I do have to be careful, you know, how many big events I do and things like that. So so, no, I, I think for me, that's probably about right. Um, okay. Next year, I only have 100 mile race, but I do have a lot of shorter ultras so kind of in or around that 100k mark and quite a few of them so yeah we'll see they might be they might actually end up because they're going to be much faster they might actually end up being more severe than some of the 100 mile races which you're running at a slower pace are you in a position to see what they are yeah yeah Yeah, well uh, i haven't completely decided so basically I'm going to do Trans Grand Canary in February. That's uh, that's a definite. Uh, so that's 115 kilometres. 
7,000 meters of elevation. Um, probably going to do the Felsman because it's the 60th yeah. anniversary. Uh, I think yeah. it's a bit of a landmark year to, to go and do that. Um, I would like to say that I would love to represent Ireland at the uh, European Off-Road Running Championships. So fingers crossed I can wear the Irish vest for, for the 65k race. That's the long. It's not when's, long that, when's that happening? Um, beginning of June, I think. Beginning of June. So okay. that's not, obviously that's not a definite. Sorry? Can we, uh, it's just, we love it when people represent their country. What's the criteria? What's the selection process? What happens? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> I don't know yet. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping uh, somebody will enlighten me soon. I think there is a qualifying race. Um, so, I'll, you know, there's so many different things that may affect my chances of getting in. But, you know, if everything, you know, in, in an ideal situation, yes, I'd, I'd love to be able to go. Like mm. I say, it's going to be a very fast race. It's quite short for me, but it'd be amazing to represent represent my country really um so yeah so it's not set in stone but it's penciled into the calendar i would like to say okay um, well, we can we can tag the selection committee into this podcast and see let them know <laughs> that you're you're up for the shot and sorry i interrupted you there so that's um trans grand canaria the fellsman representing your country what else are you thinking yeah. about uh yeah so then um I, my next race there's a bit of a toss-up so basically it depends on how I'm feeling um yeah whether I feel ready but I'll probably do go back to Lavaredo or do the 90 kilometers marathon de Mont Blanc so they are two very very different races in yeah. their own way because marathon de Mont Blanc is very technical um a lot of climbing um but I do, I have been on some of those trails before, so I know what they're like. Um, but, so that would be a nice new challenge. But then the draw for Lavaredo is there because I just feel like I can do so much better at Lavaredo than mm -hmm. I did this year. So it'll depend on how I'm feeling, which one I decide to do. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, it'll be one of those two, but which one I don't know. Um, and we just we'll just wait and see. And um, really, they're all preparation, I suppose, to for uh, the big one in August, which will be UTMB. So we'll um, we'll tackle that one and have a go. We normally ask that question at the end, but I'm really glad that we have set the scene for 2024. Potentially, what's going to happen in 2024. So that's probably mm -hmm. does. Your coach have an influence on what races you take part in? Well, I asked him what 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 he guides me. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> yeah, no, basically, um, uh, the the brand I'm sponsored by, which is Scarpa, um, they, and Marco, who's like their product designer, product manager, um, the big guy in Italy, uh, he was my support crew for, for Tour de Giants and uh -huh. we had a bit of a chat about, you know, what races would be good for me to do. So actually he was kind of a pivotal um, guide for me in selecting potential races um, that he thinks would suit my running skills. 
Um, the biggest problem with them, I mean, all of those races are just so competitive. Like it's it's going to be interesting for me because I know I can't. You know, most of those races, you know, I've not got a chance of winning. But it's it's going to be nice to see where I am on that international yeah. leaderboard. Um, something a bit different and just yeah, I, you know, do a bit more international running and seeing you know different trail races in different parts of the world is going to be really exciting and yeah mm. just to see where, where I sit really like I say I don't expect I, I certainly don't expect to be in the podium on the podium on a lot of those but you know if I could be top 10 I'd be very happy because they're all incredibly competitive races so oh, yeah. um, and yeah. can I ask you still coached by Kim Collison yes I am yeah yeah at the moment yeah unless he sacks me <laughs> okay Okay, and you mentioned there about what Marco had said about your skill set, ability, and then you mentioned the word competitive, the races are competitive. How competitive is Emma Stewart? Uh, (laughs) I'm reasonably competitive. I'm actually probably more competitive with myself than anything else. Like, I try and give everything 110%. that's what I mean. Like I, I can't settle. A, you know. Yes, I'm really pleased that I was third at Lavaredo. Don't get me wrong. I was really pleased with that. But for me, I wasn't happy with my performance. So yeah, it's yeah. like the position is kind of irrelevant for me a lot of the time. You know. Yeah, it's it's nice to win or whatever. But the position is relevant. It's based on my performance. So like the arc of attrition. I mean, for me, that was my perfect race, and I'm for the foreseeable future I can't see myself going back to it because I know that the chances of me having such a perfect race are so slim that I don't want to ruin that experience for myself by going back yeah and that's the same with a lot of races um you know UTS again I I yeah there's certainly time you can make up on that event but it was a really good race for me and I really enjoyed it Tour de Giants I didn't I didn't 95 percent of the race was perfect but there was 5% that just wasn't perfect. That th- that leads me to feel like I need to go back to Tour de Giants. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I say, yeah, I am competitive, but a lot of it is competitive with my own performance. And like, have I given 100% on the day? And if I haven't, I'll probably end up going back. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. And you know, you know what? And some of the stuff you've mentioned, they're... There are massive races on the sort of certainly on the European um, list of of races, but there's so many experiences that we can have. So if you've like the arc of attrition, phenomenal performance there, but you say it was almost like the perfect race. So I'm not saying you've ticked that box, but you've had that fantastic experience. And then why would you want to sever that? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's other places to go. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely, and like I say, I think if you've had a perfect race, yeah, and then you go back and something goes wrong, like for the arc of attrition, it could be as simple as the weather. We Mm. had perfect weather last year, and something as if I went back next year and the weather was crap, it would it it could very easily turn that it could sour that race for me. And then that, you know, that'll diminish that that 
the per, you know that that feeling of having had the perfect race the year before so yeah for me it's just so so much nicer for me to say done that race I did the best I could and now it's time to move on to something else and the late mm-hmm. 100 is another one that I didn't didn't have a perfect race and I will definitely go back to that I think um at some point in the future because because there's a lot of time I can claw back from that and I just had do you know what I had such um such a traumatizing experience on Lakeland 100 that I kind of need to go back to try and like um mask (laughs) how traumatizing it was I suppose though that's that's the flip isn't it that's the flip of the arc of attrition one you had that great experience so let's just hold on to that we've got great memories from that whereas you're saying about the the Lakeland one you maybe want to replace that original memory you have with a better one exactly and it no matter what happens it has to be better (laughs) (laughs) feeling sick for 80 miles and not being able to eat or drink anything for 80 miles is not a pleasant experience (laughs) yes I think you'll I think you can quite easily make that a better experience Emma I think you can go back and do that the one the one thing I'm getting from you though the sense I'm getting is there's a there's a definite itch with Lavaredo you know, the and yeah, so, there is. It's yeah. just whether, yeah, do I, I can't decide whether to go back next year or wait until the year after, but yeah, it definitely, you know, I've learned, I learned so much on Tour de Giants. Uh, the altitude definitely got to me at Lavaredo, and I feel like now I'm better able to cope with the altitude. I know what to do, I know what it feels like to be at altitude and how crap you feel. And mm-hmm. rather than let it demoralise me, which it did during Lavaredo, it demoralised me. I can just embrace it and say, this is, you know, this is what it feels like to be at altitude. And it's rubbish. But you know what? Mm. It's fine. Everybody else is moving just as slowly as you. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else moves just as rubbish. <laughs> and then that's but that's only I'm saying that's only. But it's because you've experienced it. You then start to process it. You understand it. And that's how you feel. And that's how you'll probably feel again, similar. What about acclimatisation to altitude? Is that something that you do? Would you go out earlier? No, unfortunately, I didn't have any time. Um, I had a really busy August at work, um, really, really busy, um, and just didn't physically have any time, um, which was frustrating, but you know, it's fine. It, it was grand. It worked out fine in the end. Um, I did, well, I get some heat acclimatization. So, you know, people say that heat acclimatization helps with acclimatization to altitude. Um, so I get that anyway through my job because um, sometimes we work at very warm temperatures. Um, and I did, I did decide, I, I weighed up the pros and cons and I eventually decided that purchasing an altitude tent was a good investment, uh, which um, it appears to have been. So okay. I wouldn't recommend them for everybody. You know, I, I, I yeah, it's a, not a very pleasant sleeping experience, sleeping in an altitude tent. It is very stuffy, especially in the summer. It's very hot. It's very damp (laughs) the condensation is insane and um yeah i I, um (laughs) it's yeah it's noisy it's uh yeah it's not pleasant so you're not selling it really (laughs) but i did 
sleeping every six weeks and um yeah i think it probably i think it probably helped a little bit yeah now you may do you want to say a bit about your job you mentioned your job a couple of times there do you want to say what your job entails what it is that you do yeah i'm a farm animal vet so i am a vet like many other runners um uh, yeah so i work in predominantly cattle and sheep what i do mostly i don't really do well in fact i don't do small animals anymore <laughs> so it's always a bit awkward someone tells me about their dog has a sore arse or whatever but um but, <laughs> but yeah no so i'm a farm animal vet so yeah i spend all of my days out in the fields and in sheds playing with cows and sheep and i love okay. it it's a fantastic job um it's taken me a while to find the job that that really fits that really suits me it's taken me nine years to find the job that really suits me and that i really love but yeah absolutely love my job um works really good as well so yes i didn't get time off in august to go over to um the alps to train because it was so busy but they're so good to me in other ways that to be yeah, honest yeah. i didn't mind um you know they do you know they, they let me work i work four days a week um uh, which is brilliant and our on-call rota compared to the vast majority of farm animal vets in the country is really really good so i don't feel like i'm always tied to the place which i have felt like with with other jobs yeah. um so yeah i can't complain really i love my cool. job <laughs> no i think i think it's always good to get the context of somebody's life away from running as well you know so thank you for that and one question on the altitude tent, did you only sleep in it or did you train in it as well? No, I just slept in it. So it's basically, it just fits over the, the, the spare bed. My partner, James, did decide that he didn't want to participate in the altitude training. And so <laughs> I, like many other people <laughs> who ran Tour de Giants, uh, slept in the spare room for several weeks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, right. Tour de Giants, that was half an hour ago we introduced that, and we've not even really spoke about it much yet. We, we, you did set the context that you said maybe last November was when it sort of came, you were thinking about it and putting the entries in and things like that. What was your aspirations pre-race? How did you think Emma Stewart would do in the Tour de Giants? I had to finish it. I, I'm not going to lie, I had serious doubts about whether I could finish it um, in the lead up to the race for lots of reasons. You know, it's twice the distance I'd done before. I didn't know the route at all. I didn't, you know, I've, I've not really been to the Alps much. I didn't know what the trails were going to be like. I had no idea what the route was going to be like. I didn't know how I would cope with the elevation. Um, I didn't know how I'd cope with the altitude, despite being in an altitude for six weeks. Um, there was so many factors I was worried about. My stomach, I was worried about my stomach because sometimes, sometimes my stomach lets me down on races. Um, and you can kind of, you can stomp out a hundred mile race, but I didn't know if I could stomp out a 200 mile race. Um, so for me, really finishing it well yeah finishing it was really the number one goal and then I really knew that I had to feel good getting into Donas which is 150 kilometers so it's just under halfway but I, I kind of knew that if I could get there feeling good I had a good chance of finishing it because 
the second half of the race it is technical but the but the worst of the technicality is is over so okay. um you know there's still a lot of elevation to go but in general the worst bits are over um so yeah and the women's lineup was just oh, crikey it was phenomenal i mean it was stacked the, wasn't it? Of international runners was just amazing so yeah going into it it was like you know what if i can get a top five finish i'll be super pleased uh but mm. i don't know if it's doable um so yeah there was lots of lots of unknowns going into mm-hmm. it and how were you feeling physically and mentally on the start line were you getting a good place yeah i think i was yeah yeah i was looking forward to it uh, i mean the atmosphere is just incredible in cormier it's it's mind-blowing you know it's phenomenal um so yeah i think but i was still i was anxious and i was a bit nervous and you know going up the first climb you're trying to evaluate how you're feeling you know how do i feel how do i feel and luckily the path narrows very quickly so you've kind of got like about a mile on the road and then the path narrows up the first climb and um quite quickly i you know i was probably i don't know maybe 100 people back there's 1600 people is it 1600 1300 people 1300 starters i think it was so you know i was probably one or 200 people back and so the climb the the pace going up the first climb was very very comfortable so i was very happy compared to at lavaredo where i genuinely felt like i was dying um so so i you know the pace was maybe a touch slower than I wanted it to be but then I was kind of thinking hang on a minute it's a 330 kilometer race I'm not going to get too worked up about the fact that this is maybe slightly slower than I would be going I'm just going to embrace it I'm going to enjoy chatting to the people around me I'm just going to just you know plod my way up this first climb um and so that was quite nice actually it just kind of you know it's a good chance to warm up and then so then by the time I got to the top of the first climb and then the first descent and then the flat section, there's a little bit of a flat section afterwards. I was actually, oh, actually, physically, I feel pretty good. So uh, let's just roll with it. Yeah. So I made a pledge that I was going to eat something at every aid station. So um, that kind of kept me focused as well, like, you know, because eating is the biggest thing, isn't it? So I um and I knew that if if I stopped eating, then my stomach was going to shut down. So I made a pledge that I was going to eat something at every aid station, which I did. I was very pleased with myself. Perfect. <laughs> You're bringing us on to food. Most wonderful. But aid stations. Now, what what I've read about the Tour de Giants, the 330, I'm going to call it that. I'm not going to call it the 350. I'm going to call it the 330. Um, is that you can choose to sleep you can choose whatever. There's no cutoffs, is there? You've just got to be at the finish within yeah. six days, pretty much, or six and a half yeah. days. Yeah. How many aid stations are there across that whole distance? I mean, just roughly, Emma. So there's six main life bases, which is where you get your drop bag, and they yeah. have hot showers, they have medics, they have hot food like a really good selection of hot food they've got beds you know it's luxury uh they're the six main ones so they're all in little towns um yeah and then they've got the mountain refuges oh crikey there must be i bet there's at least 30 i'd say at least 30 maybe and then 40. 
And then these in these mountain refuge, is it just like a buffet table? Is that what it is? You just it varies. It varies. So some of them will have not much on display in inverted commas, but they will if you ask them, they'll they'll give you stuff. You can also buy food. So if there's something that you don't, you know, if there's something on the menu, because they're mountain refuges, so they serve hot food. If there's something yeah. on the menu that you want, you can buy it. There's no issue with that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, they, they um they just have pickings at the refuges, but some of them will have beds. Um, you know, some in fact a lot of them do have beds as well if you want mm-hmm. to rest. Um, but yeah, they were just brilliant. Um yeah, I, there was one refuge that offered me a burger, which I didn't take because it was going to take 10 minutes to do. And I really needed to get going because it was going to get dark. And I wanted to try and make as much ground as I could while it was light. And um, yeah, so it was just a random selection of stuff. But mostly it was like dried fruit, dark, dried fruit, dark chocolate. They were kind of like dark chocolate buttons um, uh, ham, cheese and bread. That, that, that was mostly what it was. But actually... Yeah, it was pretty good. I didn't mind it. Quite enjoyed it, actually. And everything you described there, that's exactly what you need, isn't it? That sort oh, yeah. of food is exactly what you need. Um, was there a was there a constant that you went to at the aid stations? Was there something that you knew was working and that was your pick? Or did you just randomly go in and grab stuff? Just randomly grab stuff. Uh, okay. they, yeah, just quite like the soup the soup was quite good they'd soup at most of the aid stations you've got it right what flavors chicken broth i i say the soup was really good but actually the one of the only times i got sick was after i consumed the salt it was basically seawater i don't know what they put in this broth (laughs) but it was basically seawater and it went down and it came and i i looked at this bowl that i had just consumed and i thought I don't know what the hell I've just consumed, but it's basically seawater. And my stomach just went, yeah, that's that is too salty for you. And I just went outside and puked it all up. But actually, it was what I needed because it was the only time in the whole race. Well, no, in the whole race, I only felt sick twice. Once was on the first night because we go up to altitude quite a lot. So it goes up to 3,200 meters. And um I was feeling a bit rough because we kept going up quite high and I was feeling really nauseous and I couldn't seem to settle it. But this soup, because it was so salty, like, honest to God, I've never it was it was basically pure salt with some with a little bit of water. Um, and it just touched my stomach and my stomach was like, oh, nope, that's not good. So I, I puked it all up. But actually, that's it, it sorted me out. I felt fantastic after that. I was like, bloody brilliant. Away we go. Fantastic. And I didn't feel sick then again until not the next, so to be the next, uh, the, what would you call it? The third morning, <laughs> the third morning. So to be 36 hours later where I was really hungry, unbelievably famished because it was morning and I just desperately wanted like a croissant or something. I didn't have any solid food with me. I just had like um, gels and tailwind, but I was so famished. Gels and tailwind don't like don't get rid of your hunger and um so I um got there was a refuge and I was so excited about this refuge because I was like yes I can get breakfast and coffee and this is going to be amazing and I uh, got to it and it was bloody closed and I was absolutely destroyed like my soul just left my body because I was <laughs> 
I'm so hungry and I was so hungry I actually felt sick and so yeah I sat down I was just like I, I was like I've got nothing I'm gonna maybe I'll have some water and see if that makes a difference and it just like I kind of like pathetically threw up this little bit of water and um and I was like, oh, well, actually, I feel a little bit better now. So I uh, rallied on. But yeah, then I had to wait. It must have been another two or three hours before I could get any food. So I was um, that wasn't that wasn't particularly fun. But other than that, I didn't have any sickness, which is unheard of for me. Hello, Emma. Hello. Sorry, I've just been on a rant. That's a, all waffle. Right. a waffle. That's the best word for it. I heard them um, mention of consume consuming soup oh yeah is there no soup called consume though no they just call it zuppa zuppa now oh, that's zuppa. italian for soup isn't it one other question about aid stations did you catch any zeds oh yeah no i fucked up my sleep strategy majorly yeah yeah i didn't do that one very well <laughs> um yeah yeah the sleep the sleep was an so issue what um, was your sleep strategy if you don't mind me asking what was your what was your thinking and planning I didn't really have a plan which is probably okay. not a good idea um so basically I, I am somebody who does not require a lot of sleep okay. ordinarily lucky. Really need... <laughs> lucky, lucky um there. and I can I have done I have been known to do stints of no sleep for various university assignments and things you know being a vet I've done sleepless nights plenty of times. So I was like, I reckon if I get 40, 40 minutes a night, I should be golden. So that was my plan. And I was like, I'll, sorry, I'll go 40 sorry. minutes a night. 40 minutes? Yeah. Right, okay. So I'll go for 40 minutes a night, three nights, Bob's your uncle, and I'll have some micro naps here and there. Uh, and that was the plan. And uh, I didn't really listen to it at all. Um. <laughs> So the first night I really struggled to sleep. The second night I also really struggled to sleep. Um, as in I couldn't get to sleep. So basically for the entirety of the race, I had about an hour and 20 minutes of sleep in total, uh, followed by a couple of 10 minutes, but well, seven to 10 minute naps here and there I probably had about three of them um and that is not recommended and I suffered really badly with sleep deprivation and really badly with mm, deja vu the deja vu was very extreme and very Ooh. disturbing um I can tell you more about the deja vu there's some good stories in there about the deja vu which I didn't know about until somebody uh, else was like you didn't know about the deja vu and I was like no I did not know about the deja vu at all and <laughs> um, podcast episode in itself yeah no it's good the, the memories are good they weren't okay. at the time I did have a really disturbing experience where oh wow yeah it was pretty crazy um so my 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 interpretation of sleep deprivation was like oh I'll just be running along and I'll be wanting to fall asleep like I won't be able to keep my eyes open and I'll just sit down and I'll go to sleep no I didn't have any of that at no point at no point when I was running did I like did my eyes go heavy and like walking like sleepwalking I didn't have that at all what instead what instead I had 
was this crazy blending of dreams and reality where I was awake, but I believed I was asleep. And that is incredibly disturbing because I was doing my best to wake up from the dream, but I obviously couldn't because I was awake, but I believed I was asleep. And that is so, so messed up. And it was particularly bad because it was the third night. Yeah, it must have been the third night. And you, I mean, oh, God, it's crazy. Like, it's just so crazy. So uh, this is really sorry. I'm really sorry. This is going to be a really long podcast. And I no, this is wonderful. This is absolutely wonderful. I am literally on the edge of my seat with this stuff. I love this stuff. This is the content the other podcast gets. Knock <laughs> yourself so, Yeah. So, oh man, it was just so crazy. Like, so, like I said, I hadn't really slept. At this point, I probably had had, I don't know, 30 minutes of sleep. And I was going into the third night, maybe 40. I really hadn't had much at all. And um, I, See, uh, it, it went dark and basically, I'm trying to, how do you explain this? So like, it goes dark and then your entire world is just reflective flags. That is your entire world on Tour de Géance is reflective flags as far as the eye can see. And so you're plodding along and I don't know where I'm going because I've never been there before. And you're just following what you're just literally walking flag to flag to flag to flag. And at this point, you're quite high up, but you're high for ages. You never descend. You're literally you're, it's just billions of undulations. And every time I got to the top of an undulation, I'd be like, all right, right now it's time to descend. And it'd be like. Oh, there was just another one and there was another one and there was another one. And I just kept following these. The, the scenery never changed. It was just constantly walking past these flags and there would just be more and more and more and more and they never ended. And then the thunder and lightning started. And, uh, you know, it, this your whole world, and it rained a little bit, but mostly it was just this thunder and lightning just crashing around you. But I was so uncaring at that point because I was just, fixated on going from one flag to the next I didn't care I was like do you know what fucking lightning takes me out so be it I've had a good run like but and so for hours and hours and hours you're just going up following flags then there'd be a slight dip and there'd be more flags and the flags just go on for eternity and I'm like at some point I have to start descending and eventually I got to a uh, uh, an aid station after an eternity of following bloody flags and I said I said I, I was really disorientated by the by this point and it's all a bit kind of weird in my head but like this aid station and I said to them like where do you go from here like when do you start descending and he just points and there's this like runway of lights up another fucking hill and I'm thinking <laughs> oh my god I've literally I've just spent the last seven hours of my life going uphill how can I still be going uphill and there's this, this yeah this strip of lights and I'm like oh my god it never ends so then eventually you do get to the top 
and I got this really severe deja vu, like as if I felt like I was in the Lake District going down this like um, very scree kind of gravelly path, um, which was a bit weird. I was like, oh, this is like in the Lake District, but I'm in the Alps. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, I started descending and then I start descending and I descended for what felt like another eternity. I come into these woods and I feel like I'm just running on a treadmill in the woods basically so I'm running and running and running and running and I never get any closer to my destination so I look at my watch and I can see that I need to be at Oyas which is like the next aid station I can see it on my watch but it never gets any closer and honest to god like I'm you know you think right there should be a town somewhere near here because I can see it on my watch so it can't be that far away and I turn my headlight off and I'm like, oh, my God, everything is dark. Like, I, like there is no civilization. And because I was in this situation of just running through the woods for what feels like hours, it led me to think I was asleep because I'm looking at my watch. The Oyas is not getting any closer. I'm not joking. I would feel like I would run for half an hour and I would look at my watch and it, I wouldn't have moved at all. And so I ended up convincing myself that I was in a dream. And to the point where I said out loud, I said, I think I'm dreaming. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to touch the, obviously these millions of flags. I said, I'm going to touch this flag. And if I can feel the flag, I must be awake because if it was a dream, my hand would go through it because it's not real. It's not real. It's in my head. And so I stop and I touch a flag and I'm like, oh my god I'm awake but I'm in some sort of weird fucking nightmare and I don't know what's happening it's horrible and this went on it went on for so long and I got so disoriented it was absolutely horrible feeling really really horrible because I felt like I was in this nightmare and I wanted to wake up but I didn't know how to wake up so I eventually pop out into a little it's kind of like a farmyard area and there was some lights and, and I, I stopped for five minutes and I said, right, OK, oh, my God. Right. Where am I going to go? So I, I went and I started running down the road. It was off the route. I, I managed to go off the route somehow. And I went down the road and I come into this town and I just really pathetically said, hello, hello. But of course, it's the middle of the night. So there's not a sinner around because it's about four in the morning and nobody replied to me. And I, I still was like, oh, my God, I'm in a nightmare. How the hell do I wake up from this? Like, why can't I wake up from this dream? It's horrible. This is such a horrible feeling. So I keep running, <laughs> running. This is just the theme. It's just this endless running and going nowhere. And eventually I rounded a corner and I saw a flag for one of the um, sponsors. And it just flicked me out of this state that I was in. And I was just like, oh, my God hang on a minute I'm in the middle of a race like whoa whoa okay there's the aid station oh my god this is fine I'm I'm okay now it's okay um everything's okay but I just ran into the aid station and I just said to my support I don't I don't give a shit what's happening now but I need to fucking sleep really badly <laughs> and and I had a 20 minutes because I was just like I was honestly it was a horrible horrible feeling and um like well like I say it's like being in a nightmare except you can't wake up from this nightmare that's what it felt like and uh yeah and, and I had a 20 minute sleep and actually I got up after that I, I felt a lot better <laughs> but yeah it's, it's, like that's like the it's first connected to the next sort of Hollywood 
horror film, doesn't it? That was brilliant. Absolutely oh, brilliant. It was, I'm not joking. It was like being on a treadmill. But, you know, the, the trees are moving, but you're yeah. not going anywhere. It was... Yeah. I'm just I, imagining I those reflective flags in your head torch just, like, going on yeah. forever. Was, <laughs> like, where am I going to come I, out of this? Um, now, we're all going to put the audio out of this, but Steve and I have just watched you relive that because you were very animated when you were telling that. So thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, hey, your hoodie was going everywhere. Do, do, oh, do yeah, you know, my, my, my hoodie, my fancy do, hoodie. Do you know how how long <laughs> you were in that? You were in that state. Do you know how long you were in that state for? You probably don't because you'd be obviously be a bit confused at times. You probably could work it out. I I really don't know, to be honest. Um, be a couple of hours, I would say. Yeah, because it was more, a wee bit like more. wee bit like a scary Alice in Wonderland you were describing. That's what I was. That's what was coming to me. So yeah. you get there, you get the sleep, right? We've heard about these power naps, but it's amazing how quickly the brain can reset, you know, and the body can reset. So did that? Did you? Was was it literally twenty minutes you had? Yeah, I just had 20 minutes. I had, um, yeah, uh, but it did. It was just enough um, to reset. It was just going to buy me a couple of hours because, um, yeah, it just buys you a few hours. And it, it bought me enough time. I then I got up and then I went to the next life base. So basically where I had that sleep, they did have beds, but I didn't have access to my drop bag. So the next, um, the next aid station was probably, I don't know, maybe was... 20 kilometers I'm not sure exactly but might not be not might not even have been that it might have been 15 and that was where my light my um bag was so I just wanted 20 minutes to just buy me enough time to get to the next life base which it did I mean I did have it didn't it got rid of that horrible feeling like I was in a dream but it, it didn't get rid of the deja vu so the deja vu yeah on that next section was pretty weird um the deja vu from then so the deja vu hadn't really been an issue but from that point on from after my weird waking dream experience basically for the entire rest of the race i had horrific deja vu it was just so weird getting your money's worth oh yeah yeah yeah. well like because i because after you did oh after that oh yes um where i had that 20 minutes sleep you then do this oh, yeah. massive climb, which goes on for an eternity. And it's annoying because actually they took it out last year because part of the trail had washed out because of the storm. And so um, last year's competitors actually went round it, whereas we went up and over. And that was that, that was horrible because you get to the top of it and you can see Olamont where you need to be. There's this massive bright blue light of like where you need to be. Is that where the and white space is? Sorry? Is that where the life base is? All yeah, on? that was the life base, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you can see, and you're like, oh, it's not that far away. I'll just start heading towards that. It's, it's just down there. It's, it's brilliant. Fantastic. So you descend, and it's getting, getting closer and closer, and you get really excited. Then the bloody trail veers off to the left, and you start heading in completely the opposite direction. And I was like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> what is this place? So you, you head off. Again, it's pitch dark, so my orientation's all over the place, really. All I knew is that I headed off, and then I was running and running and running through more woods, running and running, 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 because it's descending, and you're running forever. And then I popped out at this farm, and it was they were milking, because it was like first thing in the morning. And I was, again, really, 
disorientated. Uh, I was a little bit disorientated because this wasn't what my brain wanted me to do. Like my brain had wanted to go directly to the aid station, but it had taken me away from the aid station and that really messed with my fried brain. And so I get to this um, farm and they're milking because it's first thing in the morning. Uh, and and I had this really overwhelming sense of deja vu where I was like, I kind of, the flags weren't very clear there. So like I started heading off in the wrong direction, but something pulled me back. And I said, no, no, no. My brain was like, no, no, Emma, you've been here before. Do you not remember that you go down that farm track and you go down that farm track? I, I've never, I, I've never been on any, I have never even stepped foot on an inch of the course before this so my this is my brain talking shite to me and so I went back and I go down this farm track and then it turns into this what can only be described as like Cumbrian running which is you're just running through boggy farmland um, and there's no path you're just following these flags but my brain was like oh yeah remember how rubbish this is it's just like you know it's just like <laughs> Cumbria here and you're like running down and you're like there's this tiny little section of your brain that's like you're full of shit but then there's this other <laughs> the majority of it is being like oh yeah remember this bit before you know and you and yeah and, and um yeah that was really weird that was like the first sense of deja vu and then it was just basically yeah the rest of the race was just repeat repetitions of oh do you remember when you were here the last time and it was like this <laughs> like, there'll be people listening in that think I've heard about people talking about that, but it doesn't really happen. But it's wonderful. But it's wonderful to speak about it. I love it. When I've never heard it to this degree, I don't think. But I've heard the hallucinations and the thinking you're sleeping and all that sort of stuff. Well, but, I, this is the thing. I don't tend to hallucinate. Like, I don't. You see things that you know aren't there. So, like, you might see something in the woods and you think it's a house, but it's just boulders. Yeah. Well, I've never really had the true hallucination. Somebody did say to me that I did have an hallucination, but I am absolutely adamant that it was not a hallucination. And that was where I was running through a town and there was a giant stuffed pink gorilla holding a sign in the top right hand corner <laughs> of the house. And I am absolutely adamant that that existed. But everybody else says it was a hallucination. But I am telling you that there was <laughs> did a giant. They, did they say gorilla. go, Emma, go on the sign? Yeah. No? There was a giant stuffed gorilla in the window, and nobody can convince me otherwise. Ah, <laughs> <So. laughs> wonderful! Absolutely wonderful, man. Um, do you want to say a bit? You mentioned support a couple of times. Do you want to say a bit about support and crew and what's allowed and what's what's their role across this journey? Yep, so you're you are allowed crew, um definitely at the life bases, uh they, they're allowed to meet you there. Um crew, my crew, Marco, mostly consisted of Marco, Massey, and who also works for Scarpa, and uh, Jessica, who's a Scarpa athlete, also popped up intermittently, but it was it was mainly Marco who was looking after me. Um so yeah, he tended to pop up in the towns. So some of the support would end up in the, you know, refuges as well, but it's quite a long hike out. So he did meet me at one of the refuges. That's it's only about a 45 minute walk, I think, from the car park to the to the refuge. He met me there. Um, but yeah, he basically he just looked after me. You know, he, he was my alarm clock. He was my um, chef. He made some fantastic food. I don't know what it was. He, he just seemed to know what food I wanted, even though I didn't know what food I wanted. Like he just appeared with like this amazing dish of polenta or gnocchi. Um, he had these amazing, you know, oh, I don't know what you call them. Are they called like 
Aaron Cheetahs or something. They're like oh, race balls. Rice- the rice balls. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, I did not know I wanted this, but I definitely want this. And I was like, stuff my face, pizza. Yeah, there was just loads of stuff. So he was really pivotal. Um, he was, he was, oh, he was just incredible, really. Um, so yeah, just the support he provided. But yeah, it was just ma- mainly food, drink, making sure I went to sleep, and he woke me up. Um, yeah, he, yeah, it was just great. And- you're a, we know you're a you're a Scarpa athlete, Scarpa sponsored athlete. So did did you pick Marco, or how did that work? How did how did Marco become that support? Um, I knew that like I had a better chance of finishing if I had support. So I'd asked um my partner. Unfortunately, didn't have enough holidays to come and help. Um, and Nikki Nikki Spinks was supposed to be um supporting me but unfortunately she had some family commitments so couldn't couldn't make it um so I'd asked um if there was anyone at Scarpa that could do it not expecting Marco to be able to do it because he's so so busy um but yeah he he did it and yeah he was absolutely tremendous yeah he's he's a machine he's an absolute machine the man doesn't sleep he just doesn't (laughs) sleep (laughs) oh you're going fine then yeah (laughs) (laughs) and wait it's run anti-clockwise from Kurmae. Yes. Yeah. So I was looking at the map there when you were speaking about these wonderful sounding places that I've also never been to. I'm glad to hear that um, you hadn't either. Well, part of me was glad and another part of me was thinking, ah, that recce would have been handy. But fitting in a recce on top of everything else is nigh on impossible. Apparently, reckies help a lot. They, you don't get the deja vu if you've reckied it, uh-huh. because obviously your brain is like, no, I have been here before. Not your brain's trying to trick you into thinking you've been there before, but you haven't actually. So I would have loved to have reckied it if for no other reason than to avoid the extreme deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be fine the next time. But yeah, yeah. Ooh. But in terms of the route and that, because you must have had in your mind's eye and you would have, if you like anything normal, <laughs> which I'm sure you are, Emma, <laughs> um, you'd have watched a load of shit on YouTube and tried to visualise it and went, ah, yeah, I've got the lie of the land in my head. Big mountains, Iosta Valley, as scenic and picturesque as we are led to believe. It's stunning. It's stunning. But you have to remember that half of your race is reflective flags. Yes, that's literally it. So I'm sure the scenery, I'm sure the scenery is spectacular. But unfortunately, the the way my race panned out, some of the most spectacular scenery was at night. So apparently, where I had that really wake that waking dream, and when you're up on top, that's supposed to be beautiful. But that was all dark when I when I was there, and um. Much of the second day is, um, was it the second day? Yeah, it would be the second day. Much of the second day is kind of quite low down. So you do like a 40 kilometre descent into Donas, which is like the, the, the halfway point, really. So that's all kind of wooded. You know, it's just constant descending down down to um, Donas. So, yeah, the most spectacular bits I probably didn't get to see a lot of them because it was nighttime. Um, so yeah, certainly um, 
the second day was stunning and then the weather wasn't very good but on the last day you know I mean it was beautiful on the last day as well um yeah so it's just it, it yeah a lot of the races in the dark that's the only unfortunate thing about it and then underfoot you mentioned oh it was a bit lake district there Cumbrian you said didn't you what was your term yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 but in general what was the underfoot can conditions like were they um rocky muddy bit of everything bit of everything yeah so different i mean some of its beautiful alpine trails you know you're like groomed lovely running there's a yeah. lot of very very technical um not dangerously technical but a lot more technical than i'd kind of expected um particularly the section before you descend to neil um that's quite um hairy at some times but luckily it was dry at that point i think if it was wet it wouldn't have been very nice there are some very wet sections um not mega not like boggy like you know way ankle high bog or anything just a bit a bit damp uh, uh-huh. but yeah it's a massive variety it's got everything in there really absolutely everything yeah and had you have you done any running in the alps not really we went on holidays to chamonix last year uh so did a lot of the trails around chamonix um and obviously did laveredo which is in the dolomites which is not quite the alps but it's near enough um, but no other than that no okay no. well you have now i have yeah kind of major yeah. mark i ask at what point in the race did you become first lady um so i was running with there was three of us together so unfortunately the the two ladies who were really like pushing you know who were really leading the race and and um were, were obviously sabs so sabrina Vergie and katarina hartmut who was i mean her performance needs to be commended because the girl had just um Katarina had just finished second in UTMB the week before. And mm. she stood on the start line. She ran 100 miles really well. I th- well, I think it was 140 kilometres she did. But she ran them incredibly well. She was in second for quite a lot. But she unfortunately fatigued just, yeah, she was just really fatigued. And then Sabrina had some tendonitis issues. So when they pulled out first second and third lady we were toing and froing for hours and hours and hours and we were very evenly matched so I was I was resting a lot more at the aid stations Mm -hmm. um but I was I was a little bit faster than them on the when running so we just toed and froed for ages um and it was probably near that refuge that I said was shot that um that i i went into first place um shortly after that i think um so that must have been is that the second day must have been into the second day i can't even remember so you're it all bro, bars into but, one. but then you're in first place for more than the second half of the race then yeah 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 so that's that's yeah. that's quite a long because time I remember, I, yeah i remember getting to the halfway point there's a refuge it's called 
God, I can't remember what it's called. It's quite a big refuge. It's the refuge before La Barma. And there was a huge number of people there. Wow, it was insane how many people were there. And I remember them interviewing me there. And I was looking at my watch and it was exactly halfway. It was, um, it must have been 170. It was about 170 kilometers. Uh, and um, I remember them saying, what does it feel like to be in first place? And I was like, well, you know, it's so, we're still so early on in the race. Um, so yeah, it must have been, yeah, I must have been in the lead for over half of it, I think, just just over half. What's, what's that like, that getting interviewed thing? Because there was quite a lot of stuff on YouTube as well. And I, I know we spoke before we started recording, you're looking, you were looking at me quite, hmm. I was talking about a, a video that I watched where you were showing your feet to somebody. And I'm not quite sure if you remembered that. No, I do remember that. I told them not to put that on anyway. Yeah, (laughs) to be honest, um, I didn't mind it most of the time. I did mind it at that refuge because um, it was starting to get dark and there isn't a huge amount of daylight. You want to make as much ground as possible when it's daylight. Mm -hmm. And they kept pulling me back for more interviews. So I did three separate interviews at that refuge. And they wanted to re-record one of the interviews because they wanted to do it outside rather than inside. And it actually annoyed me a lot because I was like, I'm in a race, Mm. people. I'm sorry, but I am racing. I do not have time to stop and have an interview. And And I need to get going because it's going to be dark in about two hours. And I want to get as far as possible in that two hours while I have daylight. So I don't mind doing interviews. But if they're if they are interfering with my race, which they were, um, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't mind if somebody's chatting to me while I'm eating some food. Mm-hmm. But these people were literally like, no, you need to come back here and do this interview now. Um, yeah, and I didn't like that. Um, but I did it anyway. <laughs> you got to try and be polite. <laughs> Under duress. Yeah. Yeah. No, I could understand why, Emma. I could. It's just a different part of your brain getting accessed, isn't it? When you're uh, in yeah. race mode. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. You wouldn't stop Courtney DeWalter when she's running UTMB for an interview, would you? <laughs> they probably try. They probably try and get, just get to the boat, you know? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> just get to the boat. <laughs> 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 well, work to that effect. Work to that effect. Next year she'll have Emma Stewart burned down on her, so she'll know when to stop. Well, there you go. We've 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 spoke about next year and what Emma's got potentially oh. planned. Potentially oh. planned. So, oh. um, so let's let's zip on to the finish. And when did you? It's this thing, because you, you said yourself, this is twice the length you've ever ran before. How was your, how were your legs? How were your feet as you, as you, as you approached the, the end? My legs were tremendous. Oh, you know what? Thank you, legs. You did really well. Uh, my feet weren't so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my feet let me down, but I knew they were going to let me down because I always get blisters when it's hot weather and I didn't do anything about it. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't proactive enough. I was like, 
Emma, you get blisters when it's hot and dry. But another part of Emma's brain was like, I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be grand. We'll just <laughs> we'll crack on as we normally do. And that wasn't a very good tactic. So, yeah, I developed blisters 80 miles in. So I ran 120 miles with some very juicy blisters on my toes and my feet. And yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And in, in that said video that I was referring to, you were talking about the, the skin under your, it was seen to be across the ball of your foot. Or, or yeah. Just, or maybe just at the at the back end of your toes, across where your yeah, big toe like, is. Yeah, like yeah, the ball, yeah, the ball, ball of my foot. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was, it was like you were, you were saying it was hard there. Was it like rock hard? Do you remember? No, don't remember. Right. Okay. That was a bit of your foot that you were, you, there was no mention of blisters in the video, but that was a bit of your foot. And I was thinking, because you had like blue tape on, you were, you were, you were thinking you'd have oh, take the tape right, off. Yeah. No, my feet. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking to. Yeah. So at that point, I didn't have any blisters there. And um, it was, it was just my, my, my feet had gotten a bit sore and just kind of, I suppose, yeah, they were just a bit sore because the ground's so hard. Like, there are some wet sections, but most of it's quite hard. So my feet were a little bit sore. Um, I don't really remember that interview. I don't even know where that was. Well, um, you know what it does, though? What it does, though, this wee bit here, it leads us into your shoes. What shoes were you wearing and were you happy with them? Yeah, I was. Uh, wear the shoes I always wear. <laughs> um, I changed up the size. A couple of times I did change them for the end so um I tend to wear they're, they're called scarf spin infinities so they're they're kind of like the the long distance shoe um they're pretty much what I wear all the time um and then changed up a size um yeah must have been probably on the third day and then for the last 50 kilometers I changed to the spin planet which is another um ultra shoe it's a little bit, it's a bit softer, so it doesn't have quite as um, strong a toe guard on it. Uh, so I didn't want to wear it on some of the technical stuff um, because, there, you know, I was kicking rocks and things like that. So you need your kind of toes protected a little bit. But the last 50 kilometers is very smooth running. So, um, yeah, I switched to them for the last bit um, and they were pretty comfy. Um, yeah, so I, w I wouldn't really have changed my shoe choice. Um, at all, I think I would have changed how I prepare my feet for that sort of distance. So um, I normally use like Vaseline or Sudocream or trench foot or something like that when I'm running in Cumbria in England or in Britain, because it's usually quite wet. Um, and that's what I did for Tour de Gions. But it transpires that when it's hot and dry, a barrier cream is not the best choice. You should be using, you should be trying to keep your feet dry um, because otherwise they just get, they get too soft and, and they're more likely to develop blisters. So my biggest mistake was, yeah, using a barrier cream when actually what I should have used was talcum powder to keep them dry. And I had asked Nikki Spinks for some foot advice and that's exactly what she said. And I didn't do it and I regretted it. And the number one lesson I learned is you should always listen to Nikki Spinks. Ah, that is this week's Young Hearts from Free Golden Nugget. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Um, okay. You got Nicky's number, so I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now, just I think I know the answer to this, but do you just want to say why you changed the shoes up a size, just in case people are wondering why you went up a size? Um, mainly, I mean, my, to be honest, my feet didn't swell a huge amount, but it was just just a bit more comfortable when slightly bigger size and like I put some tape on my feet as well which obviously creates a bit of bulk so um it was yeah more to accommodate any foot swelling if there was going to be swelling and then like I say there's just a bit more bulk because you've got tape on there um so it's probably the main reason it's for comfort um mm. yeah okay and when we spoke about pre-race because that just seems seems ages ago, but it's probably just not not that long ago. We spoke about how you were feeling pre-race. You you spoke about it being a very strong female field. You were thinking if you could have got top ten or top five, it would have been a great result. The main aim was to finish, finish first lady in eighty two hours, twenty one minutes and forty four seconds. Did did that smash what you'd thought out of the water? Yeah, it did. It did. Um, it, it it wasn't the perfect finish for me because I got quite lost about 30 kilometres from the end and I ended up losing an hour and a half of time, which is very, very stressful in the last mm. 20 miles of a race. Um, I obviously got back on track um, <laughs> or or otherwise I'd still be wandering around uh, the Oster Valley. But um, that was very stressful because... I had had a quite a good buffer. The, the second lady, Jocelyn Pauley, is a very, very strong runner. Oh, my God, she's so strong. And I knew she was really strong on the descents. Uh, I, I was a little bit stronger than her going uphill, but I knew that on the descent she was as fast, if not faster than me. And I knew there was a lot of downhill to come. So when I uh, lost that 90 minutes, it put a huge amount of stress on me because I knew that she, by the time I got into the next aid station, I was fully expecting her to be coming into the aid station when I was sat down eating. Um, and so it was my number one priority. Like I needed to get out of that aid station before she got in because I knew if she saw me, it would give her an extra boost. So, and I only had 20 miles left to go. So I had to um, really had to push hard on that last 20 miles and I, I I obviously did because I went from having I had less than half an hour's buffer at that aid station at um bosses bosses uh which is 20 miles from the finish I only had a half an hour buffer but I then finished over two hours ahead of her so I had I had to I pushed really hard on that last bit and that was why my feet were trashed my feet up to that point my feet were manageable they weren't too bad but when I made that mistake I trashed myself trying to create a gap so up up till then I, I you know everything felt in control but yeah at the last 20 miles I totally trashed myself just to try and maintain that because I'd led for so long and I was just like oh my god you how can you have made this mistake and it's cost you so much time and everything's gone so well up till now and and you know you've ruined it you've ruined it for yourself and yeah so 
I yeah the next the yeah that 20 miles is hard really mm. hard yeah and I kept looking behind me fully expecting her to be there because I didn't actually know where she was I just knew that I'd lost 90 minutes on her and uh yeah that was pretty stressful especially knowing how strong she was on the descents so um up till then so yeah so basically for three four you know the race is marketed as 330 kilometers I felt really good for 330 kilometers it was the last 20 kilometers we just <laughs> see when you were saying there so you let's just say you had to get the you had to get the foot down in your head for that from bosses to the finish line because you were feeling you were getting chased a little bit and that's yeah makes as we probably most are aware amazing things happen and chemicals get released from the brain that you may be were, were you you moving along pretty efficiently in terms of your pace at that point were you able to you know, get a wee bit of a run going you weren't because you're three days we little sleep into a endeavor that is never that you've never even half done before were you were you still able to run that's what i'm asking oh yeah yeah i felt <laughs> like when i was running so i was running and i felt like i was running like my 5k pb but then you look at strava <laughs> yeah, yeah. like wow i was running slowly <laughs> yeah, yeah or you see a video of yourself and you're like well, i what? felt like i was running like the wind so as long as i felt yeah. like i was running like the wind that's, i was doing all right <laughs> that's the main thing but you were yeah so you, you were still able to to move along um, and tick the kilometers or miles or whatever it was off as you counted down to the the finish line and when you're you're feeling that because it's no as if it's you said the last 20 odd was quite easy going in terms of the terrain that was on the more well-groomed stuff is that what I heard? yeah it is yeah it's actually it's the ascent out of Cormayor on the UTMB is most of it okay so, and um, you're going down that you're going down it yeah okay so, so it is well yeah and and that was a bonus was that in daylight yeah okay and then your, your feeling as you're drawn towards Kurmae and the finish line is, is there a sense that things are building up in terms of the razzmatazz because you see it is it or is that just centered at the finish line it's just centered at the finish line so yeah so it just got dark it was probably the last maybe kilometre and a half it got dark um, just out of the town, just on the final little bit. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, you run down through the town. Luckily, it's all downhill. I, I don't think I could have coped with a hill at that point. Um, yeah, it's luckily it's all downhill. And then there there wasn't really that many people, to be honest, until you kind of rounded the last corner. Right. Um, there was a few few people cheering, but it wasn't it wasn't massive um yeah they were mostly just congregated around the the finish line yeah but i mean oh across the finish line i was such a sense of relief but um yeah it wasn't a very dignified finish because i was I, I forgot about the little ramp at the end and i hated and i was like oh my god i can't do this hill it was brilliant there was two women holding the banner up he just grabbed the banner i know i nearly i nearly <laughs> fell into it it's like Love it. God, that ramp's bigger than it looks, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's quite because it's short, but it's steep, isn't it? So, yeah, and yeah you know, about ten, 10 foot climb just to get you over <laughs> the 79,000 yeah. feet mark or something. And when you're saying there wasn't a lot of folk there, there was a lot of people watching it live. 
a lot of people are, yeah, are tuned was, in, yeah, you know. So I know my family was anyway, yeah, because well, it was at a reasonably civilized time, you know. Yeah, was, uh, yeah, you timed your finish well. <laughs> I would have liked to finish in the daylight, but uh, yeah, if I'd better navigation skills, I probably could have. <laughs> you know, the thing, Emma, the thing that's <laughs> creeping into my my head, you talk, I never knew about the 90 minutes that you'd went elsewhere for a little donder. You weren't a kick in the arse off the course record then? I had, I was I was on time for the course record for, for a lot of mm-hmm. um, the second half of the race. And I did think it was possible. Um, but yeah, the, the only issue, this is kind of why I need to go back really, because um, I think probably my feet did slow me slow me down on the last from the last morning. Like um, they didn't slow me down before that, but it was basically I don't know. I can't remember if I've said this already, but basically my, I had I had issues like blisters with my feet, but mm-hmm. I managed them all right, really well actually. They they weren't bothering me at all until it rained on the Wednesday morning, okay. and uh, it, the rain was just torrential. And um, so all the tape came unstuck and they just just disintegrated. So all the tape that had been holding my feet together uh-huh. uh, just fell off. So so right. so my feet got pretty macerated. So that then slowed me down because then at each aid station I was having to stop to reapply tape. Um, so that slowed me down. And then obviously I got lost. The other thing is as well is the course that Sabs did last year is actually very slightly different. I think I said it already. And mm-hmm. um, there's an extra climb in the what I did this year, um, which adds quite a bit of elevation onto it and a little bit of distance. So um I think uh probably adds on, I don't know what it adds on, people reckon about an hour. Okay. So yeah. In an ideal situation, I think, yeah, if I didn't have, you know, if my feet were a little bit better and um, didn't get lost, I could have knocked on that record. And, you know, I, I thought it might have been possible. But, um, yeah. It yeah. Wasn't, yeah but, but then you, you said that the, at the outset of this conversation, completing it was the number one aim. And you achieved mm-hmm. that with some aplomb. Um, to finish first lady, so I don't, I don't think we've said that yet. Congratulations, well done. Emma. Thank you. Yeah, it's, good. it's a good adventure. Lots of stories have come from us, so it's good. Oh yes, absolutely. It's um, a multitude of stories. What about the the immediate aftermath? What was your state of mind and your sleep deprivation catch up? And or, I was a bit tired. Well, <laughs> not naturally. I think that is permitted um no uh, so. yes yeah, so the aftermath was a bit strange because I, I went and had an, an interview um at the finish didn't i yeah i'm trying to remember the sequence of events but um i actually had participated in a research study at the outset so tour de Giance is a really interesting race because every year um some phd students some assistant professors and professor gregoire millet uh, come from the University of Lausanne and they um, conduct research um, on athletes who are participating in Tour de Giants and Tour de Glaciers. And so Kim had messaged me about seeing if I wanted to be interested. And obviously with a science, sciencey background, I thought I should do. Um, so, yeah, I participated in that. So one of the basically they 
they do a few tests before the race and then they want you to go back down to the center and do the same tests within one hour of the race finishing so yeah I, I i had to go down there and do that which actually i wasn't really looking forward to it but i was just so some of it involves lying down and i was just so grateful to lie down <laughs> it was actually quite relaxing <laughs> so uh yeah it was quite nice and then i um yeah and then i that was kind of it really i um i just headed back because I, I nobody i wasn't expecting like anybody i knew from either tour de glaciers or tour de Giants to be coming in um anytime soon so i'd um i just went back and i had a bath so i had a bath actually fell asleep in the bath that was really nice falling asleep in the bath is quite nice probably dangerous but it was quite nice so i slept in the bath for an hour and then uh yeah and then went to bed not very exciting rock and roll <laughs> yeah. do, do you get the results of that that study will you get access to that yeah so i got the they emailed me the results on thursday i think it was uh, there wasn't much of an interpretation with it, so I, I do need to email them to find out more. But basically, the moral of the story is my blood parameters were really good. My lungs were fucked. <laughs> <laughs> is that what I said at the bottom? Like, <laughs> yeah, findings. I'd love if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your blood parameters were very good. Um, however, <laughs> your lungs were fucked. <laughs> and how, in the aftermath of the aftermath, how was your recovery? Um, <laughs> slow, uh, slower than I thought. I think, um, I, I, you know, every hundred mile race, I've, I've bounced back from it really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Tour was a little bit slower. Um, so my feet actually ended up getting infected. Um, so I ended up going on antibiotics. I, I, I hung on for quite a few days. So I finished on the Wednesday. So I hung on, uh, thinking I might be all right until the Saturday, but then I woke up. And my lymph, my inguinal lymph nodes were massive, so I thought probably time to get some antibiotics for these feet. Um, so so yeah, um, and I was quite fatigued, um, for a while. I don't think I'm fully back really because I don't tend to get DOMS much when I run. Um, but I did a, I did a short race yesterday. It's called the Hodgson's Brothers Mountain Relay in the Lake District. It's really prestigious fell running event um and I was running for my local team and uh it's only five miles and I wouldn't have said I was like killing myself on it but I woke up this morning and I can barely walk so I don't think my muscles are kind of healed yes <laughs> and I don't usually get doms so uh yeah I think I must still be healing <laughs> who's your local team northern fells running club yes and you know what we should also say that um, this, we're still less than three weeks after finishing the Tour de Gions. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's no, it's yeah. not been much passage of time, really. I was like, when you heard, heard you saying, oh, I remember racing at the weekend. I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> we did really well. I'm so pleased because we're just a very, very small club. And um, like I say, this is, this is, it takes 70 of the best, uh, uh, well, it, it's a, an invite only event, but it's 70 uh-huh. of, um, uh, England's well there's actually some Scottish teams as well but fell running teams and um it's really nice it's a brilliant event and uh you know we're such a small club but we were third mixed pair so we ran as uh, we ran a mixed team so it's four men and four women there's four legs 
and it's two people on each leg. So, um, you know, to yeah, to finish third mixed pair, given the size of our club, you know, Brilliant. proud as punch, really. You know, so it's, yeah, it's a great event. Big shout out to Northern Fells Running Club. Where are they based? What's their home sort of, they've got a home. The Northern Fells? Village. Yeah. Uh, the the village is Hesket Newmarket. Okay, know it well. And I'm here in Northern Fell. I'm thinking Northern, so it's all kicking in. I'm just, <laughs> I love them. I love them. What colour? What colour is the t-shirt or vest? It's red with a grey grey stripe, in the middle. Cool. Well, well done. Awesome. Well done again. Get loads of congratulations tonight. And you know what? I think it must have been awesome for the the organisers of that race to have the winner of the Tour de Giants amongst the runners that day as well. So it's brilliant. And you've had a hell of a year and picking up that third place mixed pairs just as the cherry on the cake, is it not? Oh, it is because it's such a it's such a great event. It's just a super event. And yeah, brilliant. it's really yeah, I, it's good. And like I say, it's just nice to be able to, you know, run for a team rather than just run as an individual. Like I say, it's a it's a team event, you're running in pairs, you know, you pull yep. each other along and yeah, it's it's a really nice event. Brilliant. Do you do you train with Northern Fell runners? I don't do a lot with them. Um really. I, I run under them for fell races. I obviously run wearing the vest, but um no, I, I don't do a lot of them. A lot of the social runs that they do kind of don't really fit with my training because they tend to yeah. be quite short on a Sunday, which is when I tend to do longer stuff so no but um but obviously yeah it's a really nice community and yeah it's, it's uh still obviously yeah see them at the Hodgson brothers and yeah various fell racing events there's a lot of um a lot of members attend a lot of the local events in the lake district so you can be pretty much guaranteed that if you turn up to any fell racing event in Cumbria there'll be at least one northern fells one other northern yeah. fells member there so yes they do they represent I've spoken to a few people across a number of seasons, Stephen, haven't we, that are in the the fell running community and there's a great deal of passion that come, that's there, yeah, isn't Camaraderie, there? rivalry, but with camaraderie and, and a seriousness to it, but also a respect for each other's um, vests. You know, you can, you, yeah, you can pick it I up. Mean, you know at the end of the day I'm I'm in the heart of it like the fell running events here are just so iconic and you know you see the same faces again and again and it's you know it's yeah it's great I don't do enough of it I only do a couple of races a year because it's you know a lot of them are very short but yeah. um yeah. you know I, I love them I dread them well, b- before doing them and I absolutely dread the thought of them but then when I'm actually there I have an absolute whale of a time yeah there's a Not definite quite competitive edge i think between the the clubs which is healthy which is healthy at the moment not quite emma's sort of modus operandum as they say no that's not to say they're going to be one time they maybe just be i'm going to have a a blast at this short stuff and show everybody what i've got in the locker i had assumed i had assumed (laughs) that you were I had assumed that you were done for 2023, and that's why I asked about 2024. But now you're just saying you've just done a body race. So, 
2024, because there's still a wee bit of 2023 left, isn't there? Maybe 90 days or something like that. So um, we've spoken about 2024. Trans Gran Canaria is on the, the list. The Felsman, the 60th edition of that, I think you said. Um, once Stephen and I get our hooks into the selection committee for Ireland, you'll be running representing your country. And then potentially Lavaredo and uh, Mont Blanc, uh, UTMB is on the cards as well. So quite a bit to do. What about 2023, though? What you got planned for the rest of the bear months of 2023? Um, not a lot, really. Uh, I would have loved to have done the Cheviot Goat, uh, but unfortunately, I was down to do on call that weekend. Um, by the time I'd actually sorted myself out and tried to arrange someone to swap, it appears that the places have sold out. So unless I can beg, borrow or steal a place, if you've got any contacts. Uh... We've, got a con- we've got contacts. Leave <laughs> it with us. <laughs> very, very far. The organisers of the Cheviot Goat. Um... We've actually got a prize for to give up. No, we don't have a prize for that. <laughs> Let's spin the wheel. Oh, wait a minute, the winner's Emma. <laughs> um, yes, I'm sure if the organisers knew <coughs> that there was a um, a runner of such calibre mm. looking for a place well, on the wait list. They'll be tagged into this anyway, Emma. Uh, so they we'll certainly will. <laughs> well, it's good, like, you know, real life gets in the way and you know and organizing and yeah and, and and the juggle of work-life balance or whatever it is we want to call it is there and yeah so miss out on the places when is that the, the gv at goat i think it's the first weekend in december of plenty of time to sort that out Plenty of time consistently <laughs> daily. Second, second of December. <laughs> Tag them daily on all forums of social media. We'll we'll get under their skin. We'll get Jodie we'll Laird involved. She'll sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, so, yeah, 2024 sounds like it's going to reach new heights again in this mm. upward trajectory that you're on, Emma. It's. Um, we are very privileged to have a ringside seat. It feels like because we've become we've become familiar pals this this twenty twenty three between ah. our in person meets in Coniston and grabbing you um, all things lakes on the access all areas uh, yeah. episode that a, we've done with you. It's been a big year for you, Emma. You know, <laughs> topped by your. I feel, I feel privileged and honoured to be asked on the show. Yeah. You're our pal. That's it. Once we get our hooks in, that's oh, it. You don't get away. You don't. You don't get away. That's now that's it. she'll unfriend me on Facebook probably after. <laughs> we have. We have. Um, you know what? We've covered a lot of stuff. I, we're well over our scheduled time that we agreed to chat for, but it's been absolutely brilliant. You're a phenomenal runner, but you're also a fantastic storyteller. I could listen to you forever, honestly. I love it the way you speak. However, but we do have a couple of questions that we have to complete, don't we, Stephen? We do. Um, as a fully fledged Young Hearts Run Free episode, Emma, the first question that we ask 
each and every guest who appears on is a entry into our famous dialect dictionary, our encyclopedia, no, dictionary of words from around the UK and beyond, over to you before an army making our balls with <laughs> So, um, so the word I've chosen is is not an Irish word. It's um, it's I think a really good Cumbrian word that I absolutely love, and it's the word ratch. And Jodie Laird will, will know this word as well. The word ratch is the best word to just describe. Um, oh, what would you? I don't even know how you describe it. Uh, so basically, we. The prime example, I have a dog that's a Collie Cross Springer, right? So he's he's very naughty and he loves food and he just he he just ratches everywhere. Like he's constantly looking for something to eat. Ratching is like. Ratching is just looking for something with vigor. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to explain, but ratch it's like ratch. It's just like having a ratch, like you're just looking a... for something. Right, just I've like, got a word I think that we use, John. Swatch. Mm-hmm. We hear swatch. A swatch. A swatch like, is like a look. Having a, a look. look. Have a, a look. It's similar to that, but maybe we a wee bit more. Um, a craving. Is there a craving in it? A bit yeah. more assertive. An assertiveness to it. Yeah. No, that's like it. That's really it. Like, oh, oh what you doing? He's, he's, oh, he's on the ratch. So, like, you know, we, we go for walks in the Lake District or runs in the Lake District, and yep. he's constantly on the ratch. He's constantly <laughs> looking for something that he can eat or roll in or just be yes. naughty with. Yes. So it's just like on the ratch. He's just looking for something, but but brilliant. Intent, like intensively looking for something. <laughs> yep, like John when he smells a buffy. <laughs> yes, I'd have a good ratch at a buffy. <laughs> or a oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the perfect context. Yeah, yeah oh, you'll be I'm... ratching in all those. Yeah, or you're ratching in the cupboards for something to eat. Oh, John, man, this word is going to be used again and again. I'll be look at John every race that we're at. Look at John; he's on the ratch for scran. That could be my. That's it. You've got that, it. That could be my new uh, darts nickname, John the Ratch Cassidy. That could be. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to come up with one for Emma. We can do that. Uh, we can do show. that in the intro. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, brilliant. And then uh, Emma, Thank you, Emma, I had mentioned oh, this. I had mentioned this might happen. We'd like you to nominate a song to be included in the Young Hearts Run Free. Volume six, the Buff Buff Collection, Volume Six playlist. This is a hard one. I'm I'm not very good at this because I don't listen to music when I'm running. But I say this to everybody. You know, people are like, "What's your favorite song?" Well, my favorite song is "Everywhere" by Fleetwood Mac, and I could just Brilliant. listen to that song on repeat for eternity and never yep. get bored of it. So, is that on your playlist? Not yet. It isn't yet, go. and it's got the best. One of the best magical intros ever. It's a wee twinky. I love it. Yeah, Absolutely love fantastic. It. Thank you for suggesting that. It should be on the playlist. We've just been waiting for somebody really special to add it. So thank you very much. Brilliant. That will be added in and other people can enjoy that too. Just. Oh, there we go. I just love it. Okay, John does that properly in the edit. <laughs> Do we... So... Do you listen to anything when you're running? 
or is it just nature? Do you do podcasts, books, anything? I do podcasts, yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. not very often. What's your favourite podcast? The Loaded Question. Wow, you're lucky to that information. <laughs> no problem, no problem at I, all. <laughs> I really like true crime. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Ooh, very so good. Um, yeah, it's usually a true crime podcast. Brilliant. Okay. I don't want to be seen as a psychopath, so I won't name any names. You hide it well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Emma, I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I, I knew I knew I was going to, because from the chats that we've had, as Stephen said, access to all areas and then being with you in the lakes, um, I knew I was going to enjoy this. But what a story the Todd the Giants was. The I don't know what my favourite bit was. My, my favourite bit, I think, was the hallucinations and the deja vu. But I also enjoyed you talking about the the refuges and the life bases, the whole thing. And then the journey to the Tour de Géants. We covered quite a bit of stuff in there as well. So thank you very much for your time. Um, it's flown in really, really quickly. And I'm really excited. I think what most excites me is the thought of that Irish fest. That's the thing I want to happen the most. So oh, thank you. I hope you get that. Now, if you do, come back and speak to us again, please. Yeah. Get get in the phone. Get in the phone. You need. You got got to find contacts. Oh, <laughs> about who we'll you know. be. We'll be on the phone. We'll be on the social media. We'll be sending emails to the Irish consulate in Edinburgh. I'm going we'll to be doing all them. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to fax them. <laughs> you fax them. <laughs> oh, well, I think they've still got a fax machine. <laughs> They're getting a fax. And. I just want to echo what John was saying about congratulations, because that's the biggest thing of this podcast is Emma is the 2023 Tour de Jean champion. So well done on that. And I just think that you have learned heaps. Yeah, you know, whether it's sleeping, food, feeding, whatever. You know, and, and all that, I know you'll put into action in future iterations, and I can't wait to see what is in store. Thank you very much. Can. So, no, thank you. It's been great to get to speak to you again. Thank you so much. Super, thank you.